SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Excuse me, I'm looking for some guy named Stan Lee. What? Spider-Man? Uh, Pam, hold my calls for a while. I, I think I've finally gone crazy. Oh, man! Wow! You know, Spidey, I've always wanted to experience real web-slinging. And I've always wanted to be appreciated as a real hero. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy. And I'm Thrasher. Uh, so most of the time, as I mentioned, we talk about movie sequels, but this time around, uh, when someone notable, either, you know, that has inspired us or uh, sort of in the field of, you know, movies or comic books or video games or whatever, uh, entertainment, let's say, passes away, we'll do an in-memoriam episode. We did one not so long ago on Harlan Ellison, uh, and this time around we're doing a, another true uh, giant has, has passed. We're talking about Stan Lee. Oh man, and we we knew we knew this day was coming, but it still mm-hmm. hits pretty hard. It does, yeah. So those who don't know, Stan Lee was a, a writer for Marvel Comics primarily, and he worked for them most of his career. And uh, but he really didn't get started until he was like almost in his forties. And uh, yeah, he was like thirty-eight or so, I think, when he when he started at Marvel back then. Uh, known as Timely Comics. It didn't get rebranded as Marvel until shortly after he started writing there. Yeah, and in fact, he, um, you know, was doing, at, at the time, they, they did sort of, like, like cheap, uh, not very popular stuff, like um, romance comics, cowboy comics, that sort of thing. And uh, he wanted to do, you know, a, a superhero thing, wanted to do something his own way. In fact, he was even thinking about quitting at the time, and his wife can, helped convince him you know, just do one less comic and do it your way, exactly what you want to do, do something from your heart. And he did the uh, first ep- uh, issue, I almost said episode, of the Fantastic Four. And well, well, not just him, he, uh, he and comic I, legend I, I'm Jack sorry. Kirby. And but, in fact, that, that brings up a, a controversy that we'll talk about. Oh, well, we, we, we will address that. But but yeah, so like he, he, he did a... He, he and Jack uh, Kirby, they created Fant- the Fantastic Four, which was a comic book that didn't have any of the things that he didn't like about comic books. So the heroes argue with each other. The heroes don't have secret identities. Everybody knows who they are. Uh, the heroes have the weirdest powers he could think of at the time. And the Human Torch, who was sort of a legacy from the old uh, timely days. But... Overnight, uh, the Fantastic Four became the top-selling comic in America, completely revitalized Marvel, uh, and suddenly, suddenly, his ideas have a hell of a lot of uh, hell of a lot of value. And he and Jack Kirby are now the biggest names in comics, and and he they, the two of them enter into a ridiculously uh, prolific period. 
Yeah. Um, also, you know, John Romita Sr. and uh, Steve Ditko. And yeah, so, and, and we'll get into that. But Stanley, he was not an artist. He was a, a writer. But before we get to sort of the, the more controversial uh, issue that we've been sort of hinting at, let, let's talk about, you know, more more positive things first, I think. And uh, uh, Thrasher, when were you first aware of Stan Lee? And I guess what, and to add on to that, what was the first um, Marvel comic that you read? Oh, gosh. I I am not sure what the first Marvel comic I ever read was. Uh, it Chances are it was probably an X-Men title, only because mm, those were yeah. ridiculously popular around the time I, I started getting into comic books. Um, but as far as when I was first aware of Stan Lee... Um, so in the late 80s, there was a programming block called the Marvel Action Hour. And it was all, it was just like a one-hour block. It, there was a grab bag of cartoons that were either based on Marvel comic books or had been developed by Marvel for uh, from other properties for television animation. Uh, infamously, one of them was a RoboCop animated series. But it kind of became a clearinghouse for a few things. So Marvel... Uh, in the late 80s had dumped a hell of a lot of money into a pilot for an X-Men animated series that ended up not getting made. Uh, and it was all animated uh, by a studio in Japan. It was incredibly detailed, very good, fluid animation. Like, it's it's almost feature animation quality uh, with some weird voice casting choices. But the first time I was aware of Stan Lee, they would sometimes show this pilot as part of the Marvel Action Hour. And it was always a highlight because it was the best looking thing they ever broadcast. But Stan Lee does an opening bit of narration, which chances are you probably already heard at the beginning of this episode. We wanted to include some of Stan's voice. And it's just just him sort of explaining the premise of the show. Uh, and it was just such a distinct voice. Like, I didn't... It didn't... It didn't click to me that this was a guy who helped create these characters. It was just this weird, distinct voice. Um, I wasn't truly aware of Stan Lee until a few years later. Uh, the Sci-Fi Channel was still a young channel at the time... And they got the rights to uh, the Incredible Hulk and the Spider-Man live-action series, which is a real obscurity, but is kind of fun, though he spends most of his time just fighting ninjas and gangsters. There's no supervillains in it, except the occasional mind-control laser guy. Um, but they brought on Stan Lee. They, when they got the rights, they showed a marathon of both shows, and they got Stan Lee on to do these host segments. And that's when I could finally attach a face and a personality to that voice. And that's when I was first sort of truly aware of Stanley as a person uh, and as a creator. Yeah, that reminds me. I haven't thought about this in years, but um, when Sci-Fi Channel used to show more varied programming, to, to, to put it nicely, um, they used to have documentaries and, and things, and this might have even been a little TV show from Canada or something, but... Uh, they, they did one, and it went to, to the different uh, comic book houses to show you how they would create their comic soup to nuts. And they went to Marvel for one, they went to DC for another, and they went to Image, I think, for the third. And, were, um, were you, are you talking about the anti-gravity room? I, I could be, yeah. Yeah, that was a, that was a, a Canadian uh, a youth program. It was a show about pop culture hosted by three uh, three Canadian kids with diverse backgrounds. But it was it was actually a pretty fun show. I uh, about two months ago, I found some episodes on YouTube and watched them. And aside from some '90s video excesses, it actually yeah. holds up really well. Yeah, the thing I, I remember, and I don't know if this is still the case, but the big difference between Marvel and uh, DC is 
DC would would script out their comics first, like like a movie script, and then the artist would would take that and adapt it. And in Marvel, instead, the the artist would get a very loose idea of the plot, perhaps a few sentences. The artist would draw the whole comic, and then the writer would put in the word balloons after. And, and by and large, that distinction still holds true for both companies. And it's fascinating mm. the way that came about. Uh, is in the in the 60s when when the Marvel Age of Comics began, and no, you're going to be hearing that impression several more times in this <laughs> episode. Um, when when that began, they had to crank out comics so fast that it was just more efficient to do your comics that way. So the artist didn't have to wait for a script. If they, you could just give them a story outline, and then after they had drawn it, fill in word balloons later. I just streamlined the whole process. Uh, the other thing is, you'll notice if you read a lot of classic uh, Marvel comics, going all the way through the 70s, um, there's certain visual beats that every comic hits. Uh, like, if, if you see, like, a classic Marvel page, it's establishing shot, close-up, 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 action, action. More or less. And maybe that action continues on the next page, maybe it doesn't. But sooner or later, you get back to establishing shot, close-up, 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 action, action. So is it like a template they would use? Yeah, just kind of the, a, just a, just a mm-hmm. recurring rhythm of panels that, that again, uh, because of the establishing shot, setting scenes kind of always kept the story moving, changing locations, and, again, streamlined the process so that they could crank out so many comics with so many characters over such a short period. But when, when were you first uh, aware of Stanley? Sure. Um, okay, well, first off, yeah, the first Marvel comic I read, my dad was more of a DC guy, but it was after I moved back to the United States. I was probably, like, in, in third grade, and I was went grocery shopping with my mom, and she said I could buy a comic book if it was under three under $2 or something. Which they and, were at the time. Uh, yeah, believe it or not. Instead of, you know, now it's more of a niche item, but... Um, and I got, it was an issue of Spider-Man, and in the credits it said created by Stan Lee. If I recall, it was the first, or, or one of the first, uh, appearances of, I think, Doppelganger, is that his name? Is that the... Doppelganger? The, uh, it, whatever the name is of the Spider-Man villain that looks like Spider-Man, but he's bad and he has eight arms. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look him up. With the teeth, I think I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, 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 he is the he is the eight armed uh, he is the eight armed Spider Man, who was an evil duplicate created by Magus during the Infinity War. Yep. So who um, knows? Maybe we'll see him in the next movie. Maybe, and despite we haven't, I mean, he's, I guess he's sort of a cult character, but uh, and, and he, as I recall, he wouldn't talk. He just would sort of make noises most of the time. Uh, it's kind of like a. Frankenstein monster, um, and, and I remember my mom being appalled that it had a frame of Mary Jane in yellow uh, bra and panties, talking <laughs> to Peter at one point. Um, she said, "What? What kind of shit is this?" So, uh, anyhow, that's my first exposure to Marvel, and, and that was my first exposure to who Stan Lee was because he was credited in uh, Marvel. Was always very good, I think, about crediting the writers in the comics themselves. I think. Um, the artist and the you know the letterers, pencilers, inkers, all that stuff. Um, so, in addition to that, um, as far as Stan Lee himself, you know what? 
I guess the first time it really jumped out to me, I, it, this was later than you, uh, I had rented a video game for PlayStation 1, I think it's just called Spider-Man, and Stan Lee did the uh, narration that would start off each uh, mission in the game. It's some great enthusiastic narration, too. It is, yeah. Um, and, and Get Stan ready Lee, for some high-flying, wall-crawling, uh, web-slinging action, true believers. And he is not, Stan Lee is not a great actor, despite all the movies he's been in. <laughs> well, well, no, no, he's, a, he's good... a brilliant actor, but the only character he can play is Stan Lee. Oh, God. But his um, his narration could be quite good, especially when he's enthusiastic and into it. And uh, I, I enjoy that sort of tone and stuff. And later I collected quite a lot of the old Marvel stuff through uh, Marvel's affordable Essentials line, which oh, yeah. was printed on really terrible quality paper and it was in black and white that took all the color away from the comics which I think in some way made the comics look better because you didn't have sort of the garish color of the time but you could admire the uh, the inking more well well, yeah actually uh, ha- having I'm collecting all the, the classic Fantastic Fours through that imprint and one of the things that does stand out as much as I love the vivid vibrant colors of 1960s Marvel comics uh, when it's in stark black and white um Artie Simax inking hits you so hard. Yeah, it. Um, I especially like the um, the later Conan the Barbarian comics in black and white. I think they're very you know that with that Marvel nineteen seventy style with all the the muscles, the fine detail. Well, um, and of course, for that they were they knew that they were going to be printing in black and white, so they they did the best. The artists that they used did the best to take advantage of the medium. Sure, uh, but we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So yeah, to give an idea of Stan Lee and all the different characters he co-created, we're not going to read a big list because that would take like, five hours, but he co-created, if it's a Marvel character you heard of, he probably did it up to a point. Well, that that's something, and that that's something that needs to be addressed, is that Stan Lee, when he was working at Marvel, did not exist in the vacuum. Most Characters that are credited to Stan Lee were in fact co-created by Stan Lee. Um, Correct. Uh, and and so and and I think partly I I don't want to attribute this to malice, but part of Stan Lee is that he was kind of an ambassador for comics for decades, and he he was a shameless self-promoter. So and he was at Marvel longer than any of the people he collaborated with. So as yeah. a result, he ends up, just for the sheer force of personality, he ends up getting the lion's share of the credit. But like when, when it comes down to it, like again, the Fantastic Four, it wasn't just Stan Lee, it was Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. With um, Spider-Man and Steve Ditko, uh, it was, uh, it was d- them working together gave us Doctor Strange and Spider-Man. Um, and and I think I th- I think that the the worst of the failure to recognize the collaboration is with Steve Ditko because unfortunately mm. Steve Ditko left Marvel pretty early on, uh, and it was due to creative differences with Stan Lee that kind of blossomed into a full on falling out. Um, so in in a way we we're all kind of cheated over what comics they could have created together had their creative partnership continued, um, but because of that falling out because. Uh, like I've I've never known Stan Lee to downplay the the influence and importance of, of of Jack Kirby, but if you ever see an old interview with Stan Lee where Spider Man and Steve Ditko get brought up, he really really begrudgingly 
acknowledges Steve Ditko having any input on the character whatsoever. Yeah, I think I've talked about this on the show, but if you look on YouTube, you can find a, an older BBC documentary about Steve Ditko. Oh, yeah. Uh, have you seen that one, right? And they talk to Stanley, and it's like pulling teeth to get him to begrudgingly half-ass co-credit Steve Ditko for Spider-Man. And even then, I think what he says is, you could consider Steve yeah, Ditko Yeah, that's exactly, creator. he's not willing. I, I think, you know, I've been reading a lot of essays and, and interviews and things prepping for this uh, show, and I, I think part of it, I subscribe to the theory that Stan Lee, um, above all, wanted to be a, a star. And it's, you know, if you say you're the guy that created this, you'll get more of, uh, of the attention. And it, it's very similar with what he did with what um, Bob Kane did. And Bob Kane was the artist for Batman, but he often said he created Batman. And with, with, Bob, with Bob Kane, it's even worse, because well, the, the writer of the old comics, Bill Finger, wasn't even appropriately credited like in the movies until um, just a few years ago with Batman versus Superman. Yeah, it was only very recently that that that, uh, that Finger has been getting getting the credit he deserves. Because yeah, in, in not to have too much of a tangent, but yeah, in the case of Spider Man, um, Bob Kane created or sorry, Batman. Batman. Bob Kane created Batman in the sense that he came up with the idea of guy in bat costume who beats up gangsters. But everything that is iconic to Batman comes from Bill Finger. Bill Finger created the Batcave, he created the utility belt, he created the Batmobile, he created the Joker, he created Catwoman. Like, any anything that you remember from Batman, that was a, uh, that was a Bill Finger creation. And, and I guess that, that that's the one, I think, real disappointing thing with Stan Lee is that... Well, it's like with Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, it's those creative mm. falling outs, and you know that Stan Lee was always the survivor who was still at Marvel after those falling outs. Like like uh, Jack Kirby, who uh, like when Jack Kirby left Marvel, he went straight to DC. Yep, and it's it's one of those sad things because with Stan Lee and their co- and his collaborators, they were always best when working together. Whenever they worked on their own their best work was never as good as the work that they created while collaborating. Um, but one of the interesting impacts, just because of, of the, 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 the separation between Lee and Kirby, uh, and I is that <laughs> and I can only think of one other instance of something like this happening, but even then it was a joke, is that when Kirby went to DC Comics, he <laughs> created a super villain based on Stan Lee. A charismatic asshole, yes, <laughs> named Funky Flashman. <laughs> yeah, I, I did see some uh, panels of that. It's <laughs> even the way it, it's written, and I did Jack Kirby write those as well because it, it certainly captures Stan Lee's uh, meter in which he speaks and everything. It's quite it, uh, his it's love, not of, subtle. His <laughs> love of big words, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's um, what's the other example like that? Uh, so okay, so you know, um, you know Akira Toriyama, the creator of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. I do, yeah. So his first manga was called Doctor Slump, and mm-hmm. there was a rival mad scientist slash supervillain in it called Doctor Masharito, and the joke was that Doctor Masharito was based on his editor, a man by the name of Torishima. So it's the kanji of his name reversed. Um, so in that case, it was more of an affectionate parody slash good-natured ribbing, but the joke was he could never come up with his own ideas, so he had to steal other people. <laughs> Jeez. 
But apparently his editor liked it, which is why he became the arch nemesis of the titular Dr. Slump, uh, even though Dr. Slump's a nickname and not a real name. Uh, Is there any proof of, like, uh, what Stan Lee thought of Funky Flashman? I have never found... I have never seen that. So I have no idea. I mean, I presume he has to know, but but even then, so so far as I know, like... The falling out with him and Jack Kirby was primarily a creative one, not a personal one. So I'm, I'm presuming he bear, I bared no ill will. I certainly hope he didn't. Hmm. So one thing Stanley was was famous for is at the end of I wouldn't say every comic, but quite a lot of them, it would be a thing called Stan's Soapbox. Yeah, he would write. He wrote an editorial comic uh, or editorial column for Marvel Comics for decades. Like even when he didn't have a real hand in writing or editing the comics, he was still doing that column. And uh, that really gave, I think, a lot of personality to um, Marvel that you didn't really get with DC Comics. It um, between that and the Mary Marvel Marching Society, which is sort of a fan club you can send in, I don't know, was it like a dollar or 50 cents or something, and, and be part of this, and you would get a card saying you're part of the Mary Marvel Marching Society, and you, you could get a record that had a, a music number that um, all the writers and editors ran, and it had interviews of some of the creators and stuff. Um, they really laid it on the line for their fans and you know, also even to the point of the the credits of the comics right it would say it wasn't just like written by stan lee it would be like stupendous stan lee yes stan the man lee yeah whenever he would whenever they would put continuity notes to older issues it would be like signed smiling stan or whatever well well uh, that was another fascinating thing about early marvel comic books is that and I and I still to this day I'm not sure how or why this happened, but they they put so much of their personalities in the comics that they ended up putting themselves in the comics in a big way. So yeah, all of the people credited on the first page of the comic book would get these huge superlatives. My favorite being like delineated by Artie Simek. I love when they use the term delineation instead of inks or, or inker. Um, mm. And sometimes, and sometimes this would be a joke. Like, there's one where it's like, uh, "Stan the Man Lee, Jack the King Kirby," yeah, uh-huh. uh, and uh, and also Artie. And like, like that's the credit that they gave Artie Simek. They're always kind of dumping on him in Fantastic Four, but affectionately. But um, even early in the comics, they started putting themselves in the comics. Um, so Doctor Doom's uh, third appearance in Fantastic Four. Uh, so they had, for all intents and purposes, killed off Doctor Doom in his second appearance, at least supposedly. <laughs> so in his Doctor Doom's third appearance, abruptly after the op- traditional opening splash page, it cuts to the Marvel offices. And it cuts to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby standing next to a drafting table lamenting that... Doctor Doom is such a great idea with the villain. They wish they could come up with an idea that great every issue. And then Doctor Doom breaks into the Marvel offices to explain to Stanley and Jack Kirby how he escaped death so that he could then appear in this comic. That's pretty amazing. And they were very so so the the Stanley cameo, which is probably how most people know him now, uh, that goes back to the 1960s. 
And part of me wonders if that is not influenced by sort of Alfred Hitchcock, where he would have a little cameo in all his movies. I, I wonder. I, 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 w- I would love to know how that got started because that be- that became a regular thing of just like of of inserting the Marvel characters inserting themselves into their own comics and that and I don't know. It's, it's all that's a level of personality that you just that you just didn't see at the time. Uh, you know, you 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 would never have other comic characters appearing in their own comics even even jokingly and i think that's one of the that's one of the other things about about stanley and his work for marvel is he never got quite too serious it was always a little bit jokey a little bit winky and a little bit histrionic but in all the best ways um if i may i'd like to do a dramatic reading of one of the stan soapbox columns oh absolutely i, I tried to find a, a, a short one and uh uh, I'll apologize if my Stan Lee sometimes sounds like a sometimes guest to the show, um, but uh, I'll do my best. For many years, we've been trying in our own bumbling way to illustrate that. Okay, that doesn't even sound like Stan Lee. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm just going to read it. That's a Tim Curry doing a bad American voice doing a bad British voice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's what Tim Curry sounded like when he guessed it on the uh, one of the Scooby-Doo direct-to-video shows. Okay, um, I'll, just, I'll just read it straight. For many years we've been trying in our own bumbling way to illustrate that love is a far greater force, a far greater power than hate. Now, we don't, go, we don't mean you're expected to go around like a peer-writing Pollyanna tossing posies at everyone who passes by, but we do want to make a point. Let's consider three men, Buddha, Christ, and Moses men of peace, whose thoughts and deeds have influenced countless millions throughout the ages, and whose presence still is felt in every corner of the earth. Buddha, Christ, and Moses, men of goodwill, men of tolerance, and especially men of love. Now consider the practitioners of hate who have sullied the pages of history. Who still venerates their words? Where is homage still paid to their memory? What banners still are raised to their cause? The power of love and the power of hate, which is most truly enduring. When you tend to despair, let the answer sustain you. Excelsior. Smiley Stanley. So, um, what I was trying to do by reading that bit, which I think is a, is a pretty good one, is he didn't always just use it to shill comics that were coming out. He would often use it to, to sort of make bigger points, and uh, even before Stanley died not too long ago, um, he, a lot of there's been this horrendous, uh, in my opinion, sort of war of like, oh, you're a true comics fan or not, or Marvel oh, versus DC, which Lord, is, yeah. and Marvel versus DC has always been a thing for, for decades, right? But it's it, with the internet, it makes it especially, uh, I think, toxic is the phrase some people use. And um, people are, 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 and even weirdly, some people are trying to make the argument, well, I really hate that they're putting politics into comics now. <laughs> and, and people are pointing out, comics have always been political. And they were using some of these Stan Soap, uh, Stan Soapbox names where he says, like, don't be a bigot or, you know, or like the thing I just read. Um, so there you go. I think, And I, I like that he would sometimes use his soapbox to, to tackle greater issues. It wasn't just about... Uh, next issue, we got someone very excited coming out. That sounds like Shucky Spielberg right there. But, you know, he's like, next, next issue, we're going to have uh, uh, Luke Cage. He's going to be very exciting. Let me tell you about his favorite food. All right. So I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought up uh, Stanley in politics because, you know, Stanley uh, 
you know, he was, you know, he was, you know, he always took a firm stand against prejudice. He was, you know, he was on the side uh, of of love. He was usually on the side of peace. But uh, it's it's fascinating to see where his sort of comics, where 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 his other politics uh, sort of express themselves. Because d- despite the fact. Despite the fact that you know he did he did uh, he did support uh, he did support you know love and tolerance and whatnot he didn't like hippies uh, and <laughs> if you look if you look at classic Marvel comic books so one of the interesting things that happened when the Marvel Age of comics began uh, is that comics started getting picked up uh, by the American counterculture and by people and by by people who were in college who were sort of seeing greater literary value in the work uh, and like a lot of the Marvel characters became became iconic heroes not just for kids but for college students and for college dropouts and for for for, for really for hippies and what's fascinating and and there have been some biographers who've addressed why this might be but um Jack Kirby was really flattered by that and he really wanted to engage with the counterculture and engage with the hippies and engage with the peace movement whereas Stan Lee did not Stan Lee thought that this was thought that this was kind of like ridiculous so so you'll notice especially when they would go on and do their own do their own things stanley's stanley's had when when he's writing a hippie character it's the most stereotypical most (laughs) fuck you hippie type character whereas jack kirby would attempt to give them some real weight and some real humanity and that is part of the reason why iron man got created is when Stan Lee mm. saw uh, saw sort of how how popular the comics were getting in the counterculture. He's like, okay, I'm going to make a hero that I, they're going to have to struggle to like. So he came up with the Iron Man, <laughs> an arms merchant, <laughs> an arms merchant who who supplies weapons that are used in the Vietnam War. I kind of wish the arms merchant angle would be leaned on more in the movies, but they don't really touch on it except for like the first one. Well, no, no, they do the the second uh, the second one. Uh, I, I the second Iron Man movie does go into it where where he's shifting okay. he's shifting the uh, the Stark Industries uh, he's shifting them away from defense technologies and towards things like manufacturing, uh, agriculture, and sustainable uh, energy production. Uh, so one of the weirder projects Stan Lee worked on was from um, in 2001 and 2002. It was a collaboration with DC Comics called Just Imagine Stan Lee. Um, oh yes, where they they uh, had they gave Stan Lee a bunch of their iconic characters and told him, okay, if you created Superman, if you created the Flash, you give us that comic. When he teamed up with like such great artists as like. John Lee and Walt Simonson and uh, Joe Kubert, like really quite extraordinary. And um, I had two out of the three of these graphic novels, and I sold them stupidly because now they're worth a lot of money and hard to get. It's been out of print for quite some time. In fact, I believe I read your copies back when we were uh, in college. You, uh, you, you did. I think it was one of the times you stayed at my house when we were at Dragon Cot or something. And yeah, you were thumbing through them, and uh, it, you know, and the stories are not. The best, I'll be honest, but that he got to collaborate with uh, the different artists and that he got to do such a high-profile gig writing so late in his career is really um, a testament to his um, what he did to the, to the industry and that they were able to get all those people to work with him. Well, I mean, he 
in a lot of ways, for for a long time, he was the biggest name in the industry. I mean, he was certainly revered within comic book circles, but he was also if if anyone in America was gonna who wasn't into comics was gonna know a comic book creator, it might just be him. Uh, and funnily enough, like I was digging around just to see like what kind of appearances Stan Lee made uh, in American media before before all the the cameos and whatnot mm. and I and as near as I can tell the earliest appearance he ever made was on the television series the game show to tell the truth okay and to tell the truth was a game show where they had a celebrity panel and they would bring out they would bring out a purse they would bring out three people uh, all pretending to be the same person and it was a person with a strange career and so the panelists would ask these people questions to try to figure out who the real person was. And Stan Lee, in 1971, Stan Lee was on an episode of To Tell the Truth. I was not able to find any clips, so I don't know. His credit is listed as himself contestant. So I, since, so I believe that means he was one of the three people being asked questions, and I presume the unusual job is like, I created Spider-Man, or something like that. Right. But I really want to find this episode. No, that's a good find. That's quite an early um, appearance. But yeah, he went around the the country to universities and stuff giving speeches about Marvel, promoting the brand. And um, although he did a lot of writing in the beginning as it went on, he was more of a of a figurehead, and he wasn't always the editor-in-chief at Marvel either. Um, oh, no, and in fact, so a, a, lot of, a lot of hay has been made about, uh, like, what Marvel characters can appear in what movies. And that is in part because he was sort of muscled out of being the lead editor for Marvel in the, uh, in the uh, early eighties. And, but they couldn't really get rid of him because he was so entrenched in the company. So the short version is he was sent to Hollywood to be Marvel's ambassador to Hollywood to hopefully get some movie deals made because uh, Warner Brothers had made so much hay uh, with the Superman movies. And it's because of him being in Hollywood selling, helping to sell the rights for Marvel characters piecemeal that we have ended up with the Marvel characters being distributed over so many studios. Uh, it's why we got that weird Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie that we technically didn't really ever get. Um, but it's also why, late in his career, he had so many interesting collaborations. Uh, legendary uh, French comic book artist uh, who published sci-fi comics under the pen name uh, Moebius, uh, Jean yes. Girard uh, was his real name, um, he he's infamous for being for among other things he was a concept uh designer for Yodorowsky's Dune adaptation that didn't happen he did some he did concept uh and design work for Alien and he, and he was you know he was really taken off in Hollywood he met Stan this is a, in an awesome documentary uh that the BBC did about uh about Moebius uh he met Stan Lee at a party and they were just talking and one of them I forget and, and and one of them was, oh, you do comics too? And he goes, yes, I do. We should collaborate. Okay. Uh, and Wabius, like, huh. went home after the party and didn't think about it. And, like, ten days later, a script from Stan Lee arrived in the mail. What? And he was shocked. Like, what? Yeah. Stan Lee had written this epic, fantastic, I'm uh, sorry, this epic Silver Surfer um, Galactus script and sent it to Moebius 
to to be drawn and Wave was like, "Oh, I guess we're really doing this then." And that was that was one of the big prestige graphic novels that Marvel put out in the 80s was this Stan Lee collaboration with Moebius. Oh, I didn't know they collaborated. That's fascinating. Um yeah, it and, was, and that wasn't the first time that happened. Or uh, that wasn't the only time something like that happened. Sure. Um, you know, I'm thinking about all the different things, uh, comics that Stan Lee co-created, and which ones I... Uh, and I, I, last night, in fact, I was texting one of my uncles who's uh, been a... who's in his 50s, and, you know, he's been a comics fan longer than, way longer than I've been alive. And he stressed that... Um, he didn't like Stan Lee's writing very much because it was kind of corny and kind of cheesy, and I can see where he was coming from, but I thought, it, among the older Stan Lee-written comics, the ones that I thought had better writing in particular were um, Thor, but especially Silver Surfer. Mm. Because it seemed like he, get to, he got to use floral language a bit more. Uh, what do you feel about his, his, the quality of his writing? Well, well, again, he's at his strongest when he's collaborating, but yeah. like over, like overall, I tend to like it only because I. L- so, superhero comics, when it comes down to it, no matter how realistic you try to make them, they're just not realistic because they still involved a costume person, often with crazy powers or gadgets, doing over the top things, and so I I find that, especially with the early Marvel stuff when you heighten the writing, when you make the dialogue a little bit more florid and a little bit more brimming with personality, it only, it only enhances the way the story is told. So I, I love that. I love that Thor and his, and his allies speak in a highfalutin Shakespearean style. I love that the silver surfer goes off into these existential monologues. And I love it when modern interpretations of the characters try to preserve that, uh, one of my favorite one of my favorite moments in uh, the first Thor movie is when uh, when Volstag is being criticized for for eating while uh, Thor is missing and Asgard is in peril, and Volstag just stands up, sticks his chest out, and says, "Do not confuse my appetite for apathy." <laughs> like that's I love that. Like I, I I love that it's heightened. I love that it's floored. I loved that in the Silver Surfer animated series from the late nineties, they preserved the Silver Surfer's tendency to monologue and tendency to sort of lament the con- his condition and the condition of the galaxy as a whole. And yeah, it's not realistic. It's not realistic at all, but it, it enhances the fantasy. It makes the fantasy richer. Yeah, I believe in um, one of the Spider-Man games for PlayStation 2 based off one of the Tobey Maguire movies. If you beat the game or do a cheat code, you can play as Stan Lee instead of as Spider-Man. <laughs> That's great. And it's just very surreal. Um, and you, ever fact, heard of the, you ever heard oh. of the tabletop game uh, Hero Clicks? Yes, yeah. One of the yeah, so you get these little figures that represent different superheroes from whoever they have the license from at the time. Uh, and but short version is there was a Stan Lee promotional figure. I think they actually the game's been around for almost twenty years now. I think they've had several Stan Lee promo figures. But yeah, he it's he's uh, once again he is inserted into the media. Hmm. Um, one of the last things. So we mentioned you know Stan Lee is always been a part of Marvel in some way, but he also formed a company of his own called uh, 
at one point it was PAL Entertainment, at another point it was Purveyors of Wonder or something. Oh, that's what it stands for. I'm an idiot. Um, anyway, he and Barney, he did like these weird like Flash cartoons. Yeah, he when when Flash was first taking off as an artistic medium, he started for all intents and purposes a website for streaming cartoons. Um, yeah. It's near as I can tell, it had three projects. It had the seventh portal, which was about kids who get trapped in an internet video game, which I have seen. It's not too bad. Uh, they were supposed to do a revival, an internet revival of Mighty Mouse. I'm not sure that ever happened. Hmm. And he also did like a thing with the Backstreet Boys as superheroes. But again, I'm not sure any, any of that ever got released either. There's some, at least some Flash trailer with the Backstreet Boys, because I remember it was... Uh, that, that was not so good. Um, but one of the more interesting things, uh, looking over his bio here, is um, one of the last things he did was he wrote a, a graphic novel called Stan Lee's God Woke, and it's based on a, a poem he presented at Carnegie Hall in 1972. And um, it's it's very metaphysical. It's very it's not quite it's not what you'd expect from Stan Lee really, and and spiritual and uh, it's. I think it's neat that he went and did something like so personal to him and that was so outside the box. What he wrote was mostly superheroes, and there's nothing wrong with that, but sometimes he did stuff outside of it. He came out with a few uh, memoirs over the years. He had a book, uh, a few books about one of Stanley's how to write comics and one was how to draw comics, although he had nothing to do with drawing, but he was credited on the cover. Um, you ever read any of those? Uh, I, you know, I have his biography, Excelsior, and it's always staring at me from my bookshelf, but I'm still working through a Ray Bradbury autobiography, so I haven't had a chance to pick it up, unfortunately. I I, I think I am going to have to read it pretty soon. But So you talked about this poem. Stanley actually did have literary ambitions. Um, you know, when he first started working at Timely Comics, it was sort of a stopgap because his true ambition is he thought he was going to go on and become a novelist. He wanted to write the great American novel. Um, and this, and so getting involved with Timely was just a way to work close to publishing. And in fact, that's another reason why he went as an editor for Timely because being in publishing at the time was a glamour job. If you were in New York and you could legitimately say, oh, I'm an editor, I work in publishing, you were mm. immediately the center of attention. Uh, another later creation of Stan Lee was um, the Stripperella. Oh, yeah. what a cartoon uh, <laughs> on Spike TV. Which uh, had both a uh, friend of the show, Maurice LaMarche, but also... John uh, Lovitz. Also John Lovitz playing the supervillain Cheapo, the world's cheapest crook. Uh, yeah, Stan Lee, in addition to, like, executive producing the series and, like, he's listed as creator, but I don't know, his chances are it's probably, again, more of a co-creator thing, but mm -hmm. he also played the scientist who gave Stripperella all her gadgets. Jeez, I didn't know that. That's funny. Um, and do you know that was supposed to be the beginning of a whole set of animated series? From Stan Lee or for Spike TV? For, for, uh, both. The follow-up series never got made, but I've got some promotional art for it. The, the second series that was going to be made as part of this deal was going to be called Hef and the Bunnies. And it was going to be a co-production with Playboy Entertainment. And the premise was there's a secret spy base under the Playboy Mansion and the top seven Playboy Bunnies, who I think were all of Hef's girlfriends of the time, were going to be secret agents. Jesus Christ. And, uh... 
supposedly half was going to play himself in the pilot, but Stan Lee was going to play him if it had gone to series. <laughs> God. Um, it, I mean, that was quick tangent, but yeah, when, when Spike TV, believe it or not, when it launched, they were trying to get a footing as to what they are, aside from being, you know, sort of like the channel for Matt or something, which has always been part of their mission statement. And they had quite a lot of animation when, when they launched, and um, a lot of the animation was a pretty poor quality, but the, the shows themselves had some interesting writing and concepts. You had something with Kelsey Grammer being a rat. Oh, yeah, Gary the Rat. Gary the Rat. Um, you had uh, John Krislowski uh, coming back with a more extreme version of Ren and Stimpy. Oh, yeah, Ren and Stimpy adult party cartoon. Um, which had, I think, at least one or two episodes that was they wouldn't show on TV because it was too too much or they heavily edited. Um, so... Yeah, so I mean that's that's cool that Stanley got in on that, and I think we should transition to Stanley with his cameos in uh, in the Marvel movies. Oh, but before that, Mallrats. How could we forget Mallrats? He has a famous scene in Mallrats, um, in which he talks to the character Brody. Yeah, he gives he gives him advice, and he's asked a question which supposedly he was really asked several times at comic conventions was. Is the thing's dick uh, all craggy and orange? <laughs> yeah. Of and, course it is. And, and Kevin Smith, who wrote and directed and stars in the film as Silent Bob, specifically wrote that scene to to mirror the um, Wolfman Jack scene in American Graffiti. And you can oh, tell. yes. It's a very loving sort of scene. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is, like, that's... If you dig back into it, the Stanley cameo is a pretty old thing. Um, and there's a 1990s uh, thriller called The Ambulance, and uh, the hmm. main character of the protagonist of Ambulance is a comic book artist who works at an unnamed comic company. But we see him at the company several times, and Stan Lee plays his editor. That's and Stan a, Lee has several huh. lines in that film. That's quite unusual. And actually, I remember um, back when you had to explain who Stan Lee was. So my friend, my friend Mark and I, we would stay over at each other's houses on Friday nights very often. And we were over at his house one night, and we were we were watching we were watching the ambulance. And one of the scenes where Stan Lee comes on, and my jaw drops, and he's like, yeah. "Why are you so excited? That's Stan Lee." Well, what do you mean? Who's Stan Lee? Uh, and then you, okay, you know Spider Man. <laughs> And just like, why is he in this movie? Uh, but he also, Stanley also appears as a college professor in the vampire satire Jugular Wine, where he has one of my favorite lines, which is, "This is bullshit, Harvey." <laughs> and and he's accompanied by a dialogue-free Frank Miller playing his assistant. How about and at that? least that one, I understand why he got in that movie, because the movie was written and directed by the guy who was Stan Lee's personal assistant at the time. Ah, uh, sure. But there's also a trauma connection. Stan Lee provides narration and appears in a handful of trauma films. I think most notably the Toxic Avenger Part 4, Citizen Toxie, where he does the opening narration. Um, and the whole reason for that is that in the, I think it was like late 70s, early 80s, Stanley and Lloyd Kaufman collaborated on a horror movie that never got made, which I think was going under the working title of just like The Witch. 
And the premise of the movie was that this witch uh, who was burned at the stake rises from the grave to get revenge. But the more they wrote it, the more of a moral center the story got, and the more they realized that the witch was the hero because they kept making the people she went after awful people. Mm. And like they, and, and that's part of what got us the Toxic Avenger because when that collaboration, when that movie didn't get made, Lloyd Kaufman was sort of stuck on the idea of well, what if there was a movie where the monster was the good guy, and that led into the Toxic Avenger. Ah, I see. Um. Neat. So, yes, I wanted to speak more specifically to his uh, Marvel cameos, and we're not going to go through each one, but it has been a thing on most of the Marvel movies, he has some sort of a cameo. And I believe the first, I believe the first true um, Stan Lee Marvel property uh, cameo He's credited as a narrator in in the Incredible Hulk animated series from the early 80s, but I believe the first time he appears on camera, there was a TV movie, The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, where uh, notoriously, it was meant to be a backdoor pilot for a Daredevil series, it was in 1989, where where Dr. Banner is put on trial and Matt Murdock is his lawyer and he teams up with, uh, with Daredevil, but Stan Lee is on the jury. Yeah, it's a blink and you'll miss it part. Uh, I, and I, he's I have... mugging. When the camera yes. pans across the jury, he is totally mugging. <laughs> he got better at the cameos after that. I'd expect nothing less. Um, yeah, that that trial of the Incredible Hulk is incredibly poor. Um, not for the least of which is the titular trial is a dream sequence. Yeah, that's another problem. <laughs> Although you have John Reese Davies playing the Kingpin, which is odd. Not a um, bad choice, though. Not a bad choice. Not the best, like with, but not a bad choice. With facial hair, I, it just strikes me as weird with that character. Anyhow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, out of the more recent stuff, I didn't even realize he had a cameo in X-Men as a hot dog vendor. Well, it's a blink-in-your-miss-it cameo. I see. So This it's was before they started... They started giving him lines, which I'm sure gives him a better appearance fee if he has lines. Um... And like, like infamously, like in Spider-Man, where he's the guy who goes, "Look out!" and like pulls somebody away from falling rubble. Which supposedly he was just supposed to be an extra in a crowd scene, but he's like, "Shouldn't I be doing something a little more active?" And who's gonna? And, and why is why is Sam Raimi gonna disagree with that? Right. Uh, it uh, you know I th- I think of his cameos of the recent Marvel films and uh, the the ones that. I think one of my favorite ones is from a movie that's not very good called The Amazing Spider-Man. And you have Spider-Man and the Lizard uh, get into a fight and they get into a a library. And in the foreground, the uh, librarian, who's played by Stan Lee, is wearing headphones, just piddling away, stamping books and organizing books. (laughs) In the background is this very elaborate fight scene of the Lizard tossing Spider-Man into a bookshelf and throwing him on the ceiling. And um, it has no dialogue, and I think that's part of what makes it better. But it's just a, a fun visual gag. <laughs> well, I love um, so. So Stanley would often talk about how if he was a Marvel character, he probably would be J. Jonah Jameson. Um, 
because apparently when he was an editor, he could be something of a taskmaster, and there is something of an editorial power fantasy in the J. Jonah Jameson character. But he did play one of his own creations in The Fantastic Four, where he played their mailman, Willie Lumpkin, who was a very long-standing character in that comic series. Uh, I, I also like one he did in um, Aim Lee's movie that's just called Hulk, where... Um, two characters are, are walking out of a building, I think, as, as someone else walks in. And one of them is Stan Lee, and the other is um, Lou, Lou Ferrigno as yeah, security the, guards. The TV's Hulk. Yeah, they're the security guards at the campus. And that, I think, was a nice moment. So, a cameo that I still want... I want to know the story of how this happened. This is the documentary I want to see. In The Princess Diaries 2, A Royal Engagement, Stan Lee plays one of the wedding guests. And he speaks with this, like, he's trying to do, I think, an Austrian accent, but oh, it really no. just sounds like Stan Lee. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. I... And, and, oh, so, I don't know, do you remember, uh, do you remember uh, our, uh, Mark Feminella from college? Yes, he's an editor now. Yes, he uh, he's a he's a, an editor for television. TV, so yeah. at the, uh, I was at the t- I was a, a roommates with him at the time. Yep, yep. And it was me, him, a mutual friend of ours, and his boyfriend. We were watching Princess Diaries too. I don't know why. And it's the ambulance all over again. Stanley comes on like, oh my god, that's Stan Lee. He's like, wait, who's Stan Lee? Huh. Well, you know Spider Man, don't you? Speaking of editors, ironically, he was the editor of the school paper. Oh, yes, he was. Uh, District, uh, which I know we both contributed to. Yep. I was a comics editor there for two years, actually. I initially didn't like Mark, but I eventually hit it off with him. And it was for a petty reason, I'll confess this, for (laughs) no one... There's no way Mark listens to the show. Or maybe there is, I don't know. He used to listen to Sequel Cast 1. Okay, well, if you hear this, Mark, uh, here's the real story why, and I apologize for being so petty... But I wanted to be the entertainment editor, and he would not give that up. He was both the news, the news, and the entertainment editor. Oh yeah. So I was a dick for him initially, but I ended up working. Uh, we ended up having a, a, a friendship later. So that's enough about Matt asshole stories. Um, <laughs> so, so speaking of other, so like he he's been in pretty much. You've seen him in every every Marvel movie. Um, but uh, another sort of inexplicable but perfect cameo, he's in a DC movie. I saw this clip, yeah. Yeah, he he is in Teen Titans Go to the Movies <laughs> as himself. He has two protracted scenes where he talks about how his true passion is cameos. Yeah, I've never, I haven't seen that movie, but it looks pretty funny, even though I don't know much about Teen Titans at all. I don't think you need to know much about okay. Teen Titans. <laughs> He's like, I love cameos. And uh, I, Boy, captured, I captured a good scene of <laughs> a still from the trailer of him. <laughs> he's He has his legs spread and he's looking underneath his ass. Like, it's very bizarre. It's, well, he keeps doing these crazy poses. Yeah, and that, yeah that's one of the poses when cheesy. he's looking through his own legs. <laughs> so, something else. Um, see, how can we forget another character he co-created was Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Um, although, if you read the original Black Panther comic, which I have, it's quite different than, you know, what we saw in the movie. Well, they've um, all changed over the years in the absolutely. comics, but they have yep. also changed uh, in ad- the adaptation. Correct. So, um, 
a final note. Um, Stan Lee does have a cameo in um, Avengers 4, or whatever the hell they're calling it. Well, supposedly they pre-filmed a lot of cameos, so yep. the possibility exists he may be showing up in like another four movies. That's right. Which, which I'm not, I'm not opposed to, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be kind of like, it's gonna be tears of joy rather than tears of laughter. Yeah, I wonder if they are gonna, if any of them is like a, a meaty kind of scene, or I, I think that you know, if his cameo is the one that was most substantial, and I, I think it was too uh, self-winking for its own good, was in Spider-Man Three. Oh, where he gives advice to Peter Parker? Yes. It's a bit too on the nose for my liking. But he also answers Peter Parker's question about whether the thing's dick is orange and craggly? He does. He says, uh, you know, Petey, the thing, his penis, it's uh, less craggly than you expect, but also more orange. <laughs> it's, short, it's short of a hunt is orange. In fact, that's where Crayola got the idea for the color. They were going to call it Thin Orange and couldn't work out a deal. That's just that's my <laughs> shaky Spielboy. Um, oh, speaking of which, if you want to see a weird example of Marvel licensing, the Thing animated series that Hanna-Barbera did, which only features the Thing, features what? no other Marvel characters, okay. but also the Thing can turn into a teenager named Benji. Or Benji can turn into the Thing. It's kind of weird. And he does it yeah. through the use of two magic rings. That, okay, that does sound like Hannah Barbera, come to think of it. Yeah. Geez, so Stan Lee has uh, quite quite the legacy. We'll have to see uh, Well, he's going to get a biopic now. I feel like at this point, he's going to have to get a biopic. Who would play him? I don't know, frankly. I would cast Paul Giamatti, but that's because I'm lazy. <laughs> because he has done a lot of biopics. But, um, oh, uh, this is one one last thing I would like to point out. A very strange cameo. Um, I, I don't know the name of the show, but they've done a lot of different video game award shows over the past few years, and they don't quite have their Oscars yet. Um, oh, certainly not. But they, 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 it's not for lack of trying. Uh, they aired on Spike TV initially, funny enough, and... Um, they did a sketch where Stan Lee was in costume, in character as uh, Revolver Ocelot from the Metal Gear Solid series, <laughs> introducing a special award to, um, I'm blanking on his name right now, Hideo Your Kojima. No, uh, Hideo Kojima, the Metal oh. Gear uh, game designer. And so Stan Lee clearly doesn't know what the character is. He just talks in the voice of Stan Lee, but he's like, I'm Revolver Ocelot. And the crowd goes wild. Uh, um, any last sort of Stan Lee random clips or trivia you want to talk about? Well, I met him once. You did? Yeah, it was oh. so like, so I had been to several conventions where he was a guest, but I never had the time to actually like stand in line and, and say hi, shake his hand, get something signed. So at a convention, I think two years ago, um, 
I was doing, I was running to Starbucks to get some coffee and breakfast for uh, the people I was at the convention with. We were working, we were working the uh, Punch in the Art booth, and some of our friends had adjacent booths. And if this was uh, Sunday, Stanley has made his last appearance. I'm walking back to the hotel with our breakfast food, and I pass the front of his hotel, and Stan Lee is standing in front of the hotel waiting for his ride to the airport. Wow. And so I turn around, and I said, Sir, I would be remiss if I did not shake your hand and thank you for, for all your work. Thank you so much. And I shake his hand, and he just turned to me, and he just had this big smile on his face, and he said, Okay! That's and he was just great. really sweet, and he still wow. had a good handshake, you know, despite yeah. despite his age. And you know, I just kind of sprang in my step for the rest of the day. Wow. And 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 it was also that thing is like I did look over my shoulder, and he was still smiling as I was walking away. Like that's that's how you know the enthusiasm is real is when the smile is still there long after your back is turned. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm I, really I'm really happy I got to meet Stanley and shake his hand. I I never got to meet him. I never got to. Um... I had the opportunity to see, you know, to go to panels that he was on, but I never, never did that for whatever reason. I always thought I'd catch it next time, and it was too late. Um, but one, one clip I, I saw that I thought was just tremendous was uh, on the Xbox 360, the sort of late in the system's life cycle, they had something called the Connect, which was an accessory you could buy. Um, oh, that, that motion tracker. Motion thing. tracker. Think of the Wii with no controllers, but yeah, it was a motion tracker. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work very well. You had to be in an extremely well-lit room and, yeah. um, to, to get it to pick up on, because it was a consumer-grade device. Um, and Anyhow, they did a sort of Avengers game that was a collection of little mini-games, and one of which is you could stomp around and be the Hulk. And there's a clip of Stanley doing this, I think, at an E3 convention. Oh. <laughs> and it's and he's having the time of his life. He goes, oh, this is quite a good game. I mean, he does. I, I don't think he knew he was a video game player, but... Um, just to see him sort of smile, getting to, and he started like talking like the Hulk, and it, it's a really lovely clip. Um, that yeah, just to have that enthusiasm, uh, even in his late years. Uh, some, something popped up online. One of the final people to see him uh, alive, I think, only a few days before he passed, was Roy Thomas. Who later was a who I think was a, a protege of Stan and was later an editor at Marvel. If I, I believe that's right, isn't it? I believe so. Yes. Roy E. Thomas and uh, and he said Stanley was still talking about oh he was excited to uh, to film some more cameos for the movies. <laughs> so, um, but then they filmed a whole lot of extra ones. I read that story as well. And I, I think that's uh, he'll, he'll he's really one of the greats. I think truly it's the the end of an era, an era of sorts. Yeah, like I can't. Uh, it's 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 going to be so weird. And part of, part of me wonders: Are they because because some other uh, uh, comics creators have now shown up in cameos in films based on their work? And I'm wondering: Is a torch going to get passed, or is it just going to be sort of a piecemeal thing for people in the know going forward as far as the creators showing up in the movies? Which, which to be, which, and this is you know the the downside of comics. Uh, uh, in many cases, all the money the creators are getting from those movies are the appearance fee for making the cameo. Not just that, in uh, I think like in two thousand, Stan Lee. Um, so in most of the movies based off his comics, Stan Lee has an executive producer credit, right? 
Yes. Which doesn't mean that he did anything with the movie, really. It's just a sort of a, some deal he worked out. Unfortunately, instead of getting profit points for the movies, he sold those all his Marvel movie profit points in exchange for, I think, just like $10 million. Which huh. they would have been worth a lot more than that had he hung on, hung on to them. Although then, then again, what are you going to spend ten million dollars on? Especially if you're in your eighties and nineties. Yeah, no, it, it. But in in the the quote I saw from me, he said, "I should have been a little more greedy." And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, Stan, jeez. Um, yeah, we we miss you, Stan, Mr. Lee, Stan Lee, whatever. Uh, you, but we'll uh, always have the body of work, we'll always have the cameos, we'll always have the memories. Always have, uh... Yeah, I especially liked in... Was it one of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies where he, uh... In a, he's in a cameo talking about his first Marvel cameo? Oh, yeah, where he's talking to the Watchers. And of course, <laughs> yeah. at the time, I was a mailman. Yeah, he's making uh -huh. a reference to <laughs> Willie Lumpkin. <laughs> It's, another uh, Fantastic Four. That was pretty meta. Which he was he was good at. I mean, he was great. He was great in The Simpsons, uh, and I discovered he he returned to The Simpsons two more times. Did he? Yeah, I didn't see I didn't see those appearances, so now I got to track down those episodes. But he does appear if you have the Simpsons DVDs. Um, the episode, uh, the Simpsons episode, he appears on is like. Uh, he he appears on the audio commentary for that episode, and I think maybe one more. Hmm. But like, I I love that he bothered to show up for the audio commentary of an episode he guessed it on. And I actually was watching something yesterday that I did not expect Stanley to be in, but he was, and this was because of his friendship to Lloyd Kaufman. Um, several of the the trauma stuff is on Amazon Prime, including all the videos for make your own movie and direct your own damn movie. Oh, yeah. And in director-own-damn-movie, Stan Lee is an interview subject. Um, which, he's not a director, so it's sort of strange that he's there. But he did talk about that he was most impressed with Brian Singer as the director of the hmm. original, of the first two X-Men movies, because of how prepared he was. And he knew everything, what he was going to do in advance. It was heavily storyboarded. Hmm. And with that, um... Yeah, you'll live on in our hearts and our memories, and we love you, Stanley. Yeah, and I get God, it's like because you know when the when the new Avengers comes out, it's either going to begin or end with four Stan, uh, and I I suspect there's going to be some tears. Enough said. Enough said. <laughs> Indeed, enough said. <laughs> All right. Also, Excelsior, onward and upward to greater things. Um, next time on Sequelcast 2, we'll resume our regular programming with uh, looking at Wes Craven's new Nightmare, uh, followed the following week with... Um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. That's right. So, got a lot of fun stuff uh, in store. So, uh, be sure to leave us a uh, review on the Apple Podcast app or whatever podcast listening thing you, you listen to us on. And... Um, if you have any questions, feel free to, to post them on our Facebook page, just to look up SequelCast2 on Facebook, or you can send a message on Twitter to uh, SequelCast2. So, 
Uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at MATWBT. You can follow me at Internet Mayor. But for Sequel Cast 2, uh, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying. You never know who might be a mutant. You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the Mary Marvel Marching Society. March along, march along, march along to the song of the Mary Marvel Marching Society. If you growl, if you groan, and your score is merely zero, do not howl, do not moan, you can be a superhero marching right along to the fighting song of the Mary Okay out there in Marvelland, face front, this is Stan Lee speaking. You've probably never heard a record like this before because no one would be nutty enough to make one with a bunch of offbeat artists, so anything is liable to happen. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, Lee? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby, say a few words to the fans, Jackson. Okay, a few words. Look, pal, I'll take care of the humor around here. You, you've been using the same gags over and over for years. Well, you can't accuse me of being fickle, can you? By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw her bald-headed. Boy, I'm glad we caught you and you were in a good mood. Oh, Stan, do you have a few minutes? For our fabulous gal Friday? Sure. Say hello to the fans, Flo Steinberg. Hello, fans. It's very nice to meet you. As Marvel's corresponding secretary, I feel as though I know most of you from your letters. By the way, Saul Brodsky wants to say a few words. Saul Brodsky? Who's he? Stan, the fans know you have a bad memory by all the mistakes you make, but this is ridiculous. He's been your associate for years. Really? We ought to start paying him one of these days. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. And how come I don't get my name plastered all over the mags like you do? Because I can't spell it, that's why. Well, as long as you've got a good reason. Hey, what's all that commotion out there, Sal? Why, it's shy Steve Ditko. He heard you making a record and he's got Mike Fright. Whoops, there he goes. Out the window again? You know, I'm beginning to think he is Spider-Man. You mean he isn't? Who said that? Just that lovable old letter of me. It's adorable Addie Simic. What brought you here? The subway. Oh, well, ask a bonehead question, Flo. Stan, Sam Rosen is on the phone. How are the letter of my competitor? Just for fun, Artie, you talk to him. Hi, Sam. This is Artie. How's it going, pal? Just great, Artie. I sure admire your lettering. I admire yours too, Sam. I think you're tops. Thanks. Well, nice talking to you. The pleasure was all mine. I never could stand that guy. Well, that's our Artie. Just imagine what Sam is saying about him now. Well, let's see who else we can get on this record. How about Chick Stone? Okay. Hi, Chick. How's Tricks? Fine, Stan. I'm reading the latest story. It's great. What a thriller. Now, that's what we like to hear, Chick. Which one of our comics is it? Who's reading a comic? This is a novel about James Bond. I can't wait to finish it. Well, we're going to miss Chick around here. Oh, look who just came in. Kid Daredevil himself, Wally Wood. Is that a tape recorder, Flo? You know I'm afraid to talk into these machines. I can never think of anything to say. I'm not a big talker. I shut up like a clam. I get struck dumb. My mind goes okay, blank. Okay, okay, okay. Forget it. Boy. I'd hate to hear you when you feel like talking. Stan, Dick Ears is on the phone. Let's surprise him. Hi, Dick. 
We have a recorder playing, and you're talking to millions of people right now. You're some kind of nut or something? I just want to tell you I want to raise. Dick, don't you understand? People are listening. You're talking to the whole world. I always knew you'd crack someday, Lee. Just my luck, it had to happen when I asked you for some more dough. Well, I'm going back to Sergeant Fury. Goodbye. Another phone call for you, Stan? Oh, not anymore. I'm getting an earache. But it's darn heck. The idol of the Iron Man fans? The ace of the Avengers? Hi, Don. What's doing? Uh, Stan, I was just wondering, uh, wasn't I supposed to draw Iron Man last week? Sure. Why do you ask? So how come you mailed me a Patsy Walker script? Yike! Did I do that? That's awful. Oh, well, don't worry. I'll send it back to you. That's not why I'm worried. I must have sent your script to Al Hartley. I can just imagine Iron Man looking like Patsy Walker this issue. Okay, talk to you later, Don. Don't worry about it, Stan. Don't you remember that Al Hartley used to draw adventure strips? It may not be too bad. Well, well, look who's here. Stan G., our demon colorer. I've been meaning to talk to you, Stan. When are you going to remember it's the Hulk who has green skin, not Captain America? Gee whiz, the guy can't remember everything. Anyway, I had to tell you what MMMS meant last week, and you're the guy who made it up. But when I forget something, it's different. Yeah, it's worse. Stan, this is the most confused record I ever heard. Great, Sal. Just what we want. If it were anything else, it wouldn't be the nutty Marvel bullpen. Gosh, we don't have time for George Bell and Vince Coletta and Larry Lieber and Bob Powell and... That's great. Now, if we ever form another club, we'll have something new to offer. Voices that haven't been heard yet. Enough said, Sal. Now, let's all get back to work in the bullpen, and as for you, marvelous Merry Marchers, welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Okay, let them hear it, gang. Whoa!